This evening we turn to the gospel according to Matthew, chapters 3 and 16, as we consider what it means that Jesus is the Christ. We confess tonight in the Heidelberg Catechism that we'll read in a moment that Christ has been anointed by the Spirit to be prophet, priest, and king. We read of that anointing at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Matthew chapter 3, at verse 13, we give our attention to the God-breathed scriptures. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then if you'd flip to chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, another familiar passage here, at verse 13, Matthew 16 at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. If you take out the Forms and Prayers book in front of you and turn in the Heidelberg Catechism to page 213 in the book, 213 in the Forms and Prayers book. And if you're visiting with us tonight, we could let you know that the Catechism is just a question-answer form of a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches. So this is a summary that we use as a teaching tool, a summary of what the Bible teaches, the main doctrines or truths of Scripture. And at this point in the Catechism, it's going through the language of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ, and so last time we looked at the name Jesus, and now tonight at the title Christ. Um, and so we'll read question answer 31, and we'll leave the question answer 32 for next time. But question 31, page 213, it says, Why is he, why is Jesus called Christ? 
meaning anointed? And the answer is because he's been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance, our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. Let's bow our heads to ask the Lord to bless us tonight in his word. Our Father in heaven, once more on this Lord's Day, we look to heaven and ask for the things that we cannot find upon earth, namely the illumination of your spirit, the gift of faith, the strengthening of our souls in Christ Jesus. God, come near to us through our Savior, we pray, and may our chief prophet even now speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, Congregation of Christ, the Lord Jesus says to Peter, when he confesses, you are the Christ, he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. When Jesus tells you that you're blessed, then you should really take that to heart. It means something. It really means something. Some of you have seen the antique road show, maybe on TV. If you haven't, you know, these people bring in their various antiques, a painting or a vase or whatever, and the the antique experts are seated there, and people say, you know, what is this? Where did it come from? Is it worth anything? And, and the best moments, of course, for all of us, for many of us anyway, I suppose, are the moments when somebody's brought in something, they're not sure it means anything or it's worth anything. They hope it might be worth a, a hundred bucks. And the expert says, this painting you have that you bought at a garage sale is actually one of the earliest paintings of some long-deceased famous painter it's worth forty thousand dollars and they're overcome right and at that moment then everything uncle harry said about that painting that it was so ugly you should have got rid of it you wasted your money at the garage so at that moment none of that matters the expert has told you this is worth forty thousand dollars and you're thinking how can i get this out of here without anyone even breathing on it it's it's gold when jesus says When Jesus, the expert, says that if you recognize me as the Christ, you are blessed, you are infinitely happy, then we should take that to heart. And we should cling to Jesus even tighter to know that in him we have everything, everything. Peter has recognized this not by the work of his own mind, but the Father has revealed it to him, that this Jesus of Nazareth, this carpenter of Nazareth, this man who's gone about now preaching and doing works, that this is in fact the Christ. Now, Christ is a a word we're used to, and we don't even think about it sometimes. We think maybe Jesus Christ is his first name and last name, but it's not it, is it? Jesus is a personal name. And in fact, there were quite a few people in Jesus' day named Jesus. Jesus means Savior. He is the unique Jesus, the true Savior of the world. But that was a personal name. Christ is not a name. Christ is a title. Right? Joe Biden is a name, but president is a title. Christ is a title. The Old Testament word was Messiah. Messiah 
The New Testament word is Christ, or the Greek, Christos, and the English is the anointed. So Messiah, Christ, anointed, all mean the same thing. They mean the same thing. And, and God had trained his people to be watching and waiting for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed, who would finally save and deliver them completely. And so this is a monumental moment in, in uh, Matthew chapter 16. When Christ asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And now Peter is able to see it and to say it. You are him. You are the Christ. And in that there is great, great blessing. In the Old Testament, men were anointed. Oil was poured over them. Someone was anointed to be a prophet. Speak God's word. Someone was anointed to be a priest, to to labor in the temple and bring sacrifice. Someone was anointed to be king, to rule over God's people. And these these offices were, were, were not held, all three of them, by any one man. But now in Jesus Christ, all these three come together, and Jesus Christ is anointed to be prophet, priest, and king. Let's think about that tonight and why that's so important to our lives. First of all, Christ is our chief prophet. He's ordained of God the Father, anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher. We know that all throughout the Old Testament, God gave his people prophets, right? You think of Elijah and Elisha, you think of Isaiah and Jeremiah. What was the point of a prophet? But a prophet spoke on behalf of God to his people. And so a prophet brought revelation, brought truth to God's people. Prophets didn't appoint themselves, but they were commissioned. They might have a vision, uh, be called in some way, but they were set apart by God for that work. And, and the anointing of Old Testament officers, that oil poured pour over them, was, was both the, the sign and symbol that they were set apart to this work, but it was also a picture of the Holy Spirit who would come on them and equip them for their service. Our Lord Jesus was anointed at his baptism with the Holy Spirit. Because though he is eternally the Son of God with all power, he also comes to earth and takes up a human nature. And that human nature does not have of itself eternal power. It needs to be equipped. It needs to be furnished with the gifts and the strength to fulfill the office. Christ Jesus was anointed as the Christ to be our prophet. Anointed with the Holy Spirit beyond all measure and set apart and given all authority and ability to be our prophet. Now all throughout the Old Testament, every prophet that spoke the truth was actually Christ speaking through them. So Christ's prophetic work was already in the Old Testament. Everywhere the truth was given to God's people, God spoke that truth through the Christ to his people. But now the Christ has come in the flesh to bring the final word of revelation. This is just what we needed, right? Because we, by nature, are ignorant. The office of Christ as prophet answers to our blindness, to our darkness, to our unknowing ignorance. And that ignorance came through sin, right? Because in the Garden of Eden, we actually were prophets. We were to be humbly receptive of God's word, and then we were to confess that word. And instead of doing that in the Garden of Eden, we cast off God's word and listened to the serpent, the devil. 
And in doing that, our minds became darkened. We distort the truth. So you look around the world today and you see ignorance, right? You see image bearers of God who are saying, you know, I don't know where all this stuff came from. I guess it just evolved. I guess it was a, a giant accident. And you see people talking about human sexuality in very strange and obviously flawed ways. And yet, what is all this ignorance? You see people ruining their bodies, ruining their souls, ruining their marriages. And you say, why would you do that to yourself? Well, people are enslaved to ignorance. They don't know. But Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18 that God will raise up a prophet from among you and him you shall hear. And in the New Testament, we learn that prophet is the Christ, Jesus. He's brought us the perfect doctrine, the truth from heaven, the very thing we need. Now, Jesus, before he enters into his ministry, remember, after he's baptized, recall what happens. Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, is tempted. And as he's out in the wilderness, he's tempted and tested in regard to all three of the offices. He's tested in regard to his prophetic work. And Satan says to him, Speak to these stones and turn them into bread. When Christ faces the temptation, shall he use his powerful voice to command stones into bread? Shall he distort the word of God? And he refuses, but uses the word to push Satan away. Christ comes as the true prophet. Remember those, that incident in, in Luke chapter 4 where Christ comes to the synagogue in Luke chapter 4 in Nazareth and he's handed the scroll and he opens up that scroll of Isaiah and he finds the place where this is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and on and on. And then he closes the scroll and says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. I'm here, the one anointed to preach to you the gospel. And what's the response of the people? Well, Luke 4.22, so all bore witness to him and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? How does he speak like this? How does he give such wisdom? How does he have such illumination? He's the Christ. People were often amazed, weren't they? He spoke with authority. He didn't have to do, as the, the rabbis did, appeal to all the rabbinic commentaries and all the past traditions and all the interpretations of others. But he spoke as one who came right from the presence of God to them. Now that saved some people, but it also provoked others. In fact, reading on in Luke 4 here, they try to kill Jesus. They, their wrath is enraged when he brings words of judgment on them, and they bring him to a cliff to throw him off the cliff. It's the nature of the prophet. You either bow to his word or you're enraged and you hate his word and you want to kill him. But how good and gracious he is. For all those who will humble their hearts, they will find that there are gracious words that proceed from his mouth. That's why we're assembled here tonight, isn't it? To hear the voice of the Lord Jesus, who still speaks to us through his scriptures and as the word is preached. 
And he brings light to our life. And he reveals to us the way to the Father. He shows us what salvation is. Christ continues to labor as that prophet. And we gather not because a preacher has an eloquent tongue or is a gifted orator. You certainly obviously don't have that. But we have the word of life. We have Christ who is pleased to break bread and to feed us with his word. Stories told of the great Puritan John Owen when he was a young man that he he went to a church to hear a famous preacher. A famous preacher didn't show up, and so his cousin said, let's go to this other church then. Nobody's here. And Owen said, no, I'm just going to stay here. If another preacher comes, we'll hear him, and if not, I'm going to go home. And in finally came a country preacher. He was nothing. And he got up and he preached a very ordinary message. But something happened in the preaching of that word. Not that he said any words that Owen did not know. But at this moment, Christ spoke through the word. And he gave a peace to Owen that he did not know before. Jesus Christ is our trustworthy prophet. And so we come, as we read his word in our home, and as we attend to the preaching of the word, we come saying, Lord, show me my sin. Show me your salvation. Show me how to serve you. I need you to speak into my life. We know that of ourselves we are ignorant, right? We often feel that. We are, Lord, I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. Lord, I, I have such wrong thoughts. I can't govern my life. I'm confused, Lord. Give light. And Christ does by his word. He guides us through every trial. He guides us to the Lord. In the midst of our darkness, Jesus speaks light. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be a Christian tonight? And all the world of confusion, all the darkness, and all the ways in which people are enslaved to the lies of Satan, that the truth has broken into our lives, that we know the way to God. Well, secondly tonight, let's consider that Christ is not just our chief prophet, but he's our only high priest, our only high priest. If a prophet was to speak to the people, a priest was to represent the people before God. If a prophet was to bring revelation, the priest labored for reconciliation. And we need that. Again, the work of Christ answers to our need. And our problem is that, is that we have no access to God. We, we've offended him. We've grieved him. And again, that's because we failed our office. In, a, in the garden, we were to be priests. You know what that means? It means that the garden was a kind of temple. And we were to be priests who in all holiness dedicated our lives to God, consecrated our service to him, rendered our hearts to him. And in the garden we didn't do that. We failed God. So we came under his wrath. And now there's no way to God except through the blood that reconciles. Jesus, again, was tested in terms of his office. Satan brought him up on that pinnacle of the temple, right, and said, throw yourself down. Excuse me. Throw yourself down and the angels will catch you. And Jesus said, in effect, I will not serve the temple that way. Not by some strange spectacle to prove I'm the son of God. I will reveal myself as the son of God by offering my life a sacrifice to God. 
Christ comes fully tested and qualified to do this great work. And you know what book of the Bible, of course, it is that, that, that says so much about the priesthood of Jesus, right? It's the book of Hebrews. More than any other book in the New Testament, it proclaims that Christ is the great high priest. He's come in the order of Melchizedek. He's not of Aaron's line. He's special. He's unique. He's a priesthood that will endure forever. And that he's offered, Hebrews makes this point over and over, that he has offered the final, the complete, the sufficient sacrifice for sins. That having purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, Hebrews 1 says, right? And so he has sanctified us forever. There's no more blood that needs to be shed. There's no, there's no payment you have yet to make. And if you try a little harder this week and do a little better, then maybe God will accept you. No. All your sins are paid for. The whole payment has been made. Once and for all. It's a reason we have ministers, right, in the church of Christ, not priests today, right? Why is that? Because there's no more blood sacrifice to be made. We don't need a priest to come here and, and re-offer Jesus again. He's been offered once for all. What we need now are ministers to minister that truth to us that Jesus has done it all. Who can say to us, go in peace, your sins are forgiven. Oh, how we need that. We can't remove the stubborn stains from our lives. We can't erase the marks of sin. We can't soothe our, our, our guilty consciences. Some of us were standing on Lancaster Day for life chain, and as people came by and some of them hurled insults and gave immoral gestures and all of that, screamed in anger, I thought to myself, I wonder how many of these ladies have had abortions. Because isn't this the result? If, if, you, if your conscience is not at peace, then when you see somebody holding a sign that abortion kills children, then your natural defense is rage and anger by which to defend yourself. And what do they need? Well, they need to know what the other sign meant, that Jesus forgives and heals. We cannot overcome the guilt. We may try to appease our own conscience, but we can't do that before the face of God. We have to have a priest who has carried away our sin, who has offered his life, bearing the curse in our place, and who can say to us, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. What a Savior he is. You know, if you read Mark chapter 1 this week, you see all three of these offices of Christ beautifully intertwined in, in the works going on there. But, but one of the things that goes on in Mark 1 is that a leper comes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And we read in Mark 1 that Jesus, he looked upon this leper, right? A man who has a skin disease. And a skin disease that renders him unacceptable to come into the temple and makes him an outcast from society. And a skin disease that in many ways represented sin. And Christ looks upon this man with compassion. And he reaches out his hand and he touches him. And he says, I am willing to be cleansed. It's a great act of mercy and compassion. Nobody would dare to touch a leper. 
then you're going to be an outcast. You might get leprosy. You're unclean. But Christ, by touching the man, is saying, I'm willing to take your uncleanness upon myself. And Christ is such a priest of purity and holiness that it's not that Christ gets contaminated by the leprosy, but it's rather that the purity of Christ is contagious. And he cleanses the man. This is the priest that we have. But a priest doesn't only offer sacrifice. A priest, having offered sacrifice, he intercedes for the people before God. That's what Christ is doing in heaven. He's interceding for us. He has brought to heaven the sacrifice for our sins, his own body. And he represents us before God in all of our needs and weakness as the compassionate high priest who himself has known human weakness. And he, like the Old Testament priest who went into the temple with the breastplate and all the names of the tribes of Israel upon him, Christ has appeared before the Father with our names to intercede for us on the basis of what he's purchased for us and to say, Father, give them forgiveness and give them your spirit and give them your blessing. And we come with our little prayers, crude, stuttered, selfish, unfit for heaven. And Christ takes up our petitions and he purifies them and he sets them right and he sets them before the face of the Father. And the Father answers for the sake of his Son. The Christ is not only our prophet, our priest, but finally tonight he is our King, our eternal King. In Mark 1, Christ comes announcing, as he begins his ministry, he comes announcing the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What's it mean to announce the kingdom of God is at hand? Well, it's to announce that the king has arrived. The reign of God has broken in upon this sin-cursed world. The reign of grace, the reign of love, the reign of mercy. God's reign has come for God's king has appeared, his anointed one. Then you read on and mark what happens. Jesus, with authority, calls Simon and Andrew, who are fishing, and they leave their nets and they follow him. And then he, he calls James and John. They're in the boat. They're mending the nets. And, and they leave their father in the boat and they follow him. What authority. And then you read that the demons recognize Jesus as he comes. We know who you are, the Holy One. Have you come to destroy us? The very kingdom of Satan now is shaking. And then Jesus comes to Peter's sick mother-in-law. And he takes her and raises her up. From her bed of fever heals her. What power, what authority over heaven and earth, over angels and over demons to call people to drop their lives and follow him. Jesus was tempted with regard to his kingship as well. What did Satan say? Look at all these kingdoms. I'll give them to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Inviting Jesus to take a shortcut, right? And to assume the kingdoms of the earth by worshiping Satan. How many kingdoms of the earth haven't sold their souls to the devil to have a kingdom? 
How many politicians in Washington haven't sold their souls to the devil to have a kingdom? Christ says, no way. It's not the way. I will not do it. Christ will have a kingdom by offering his body on the cross and thereby destroying the works of the devil and taking back for God what belongs to God. Hebrews 1, again, after making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ died for our sins. He arose. He ascended to heaven. He sat upon the throne. And now he sends forth his spirit and word and power to conquer. To conquer. Yeah, he's not going to fail to bring all things into subjection to himself. Satan will be crushed beneath your feet, Romans says. Christ is coming back and death will be put beneath him. He will reign. He will have the nations as his inheritance. And we should rejoice in the coming of his kingdom. It will not fail. It will not fail. So we set our hope upon the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't lose heart because we remember that his is a spiritual kingdom. And one day we'll see all the visible effects and all his enemies will be removed. But, but presently this kingdom proceeds in an often invisible way, doesn't it? In the, in the most surprising manner like a little mustard seed growing, like leaven mixed into the batch of dough. You can't even see it, but there's a mighty work going on. So the church sends out preachers of the gospel, weak and sinful men who preach Jesus Christ. It looks so pathetic and so small and so unimpressive to the world. And yet through the preaching, the kingdom of Satan is collapsing. And the kingdom of Jesus is growing towards that great day of his coming. And our great comfort as citizens of his kingdom is that, is that we're going to be protected and kept in the salvation Christ has bought for us. He's our guardian. He who fought the battle to overcome Satan for us now keeps us. For he knows what our salvation is worth. Think of some parents who buy a child a bicycle for their birthday or Christmas, a brand new bike. And that five-year-old might leave that bicycle out there by the sidewalk. But they, they know that the bicycle didn't come cheap. And so they tell him to go bring it in. Or if he's not around, they take that bike and they bring it in because, because they know the value of that bicycle and they don't want it stolen. Well, there's nobody who knows tonight more the value of your salvation than your Lord Jesus who gave his life for you. There's no one who is more attuned to the cost of your redemption, to the prize of your everlasting life than Jesus who has purchased it for you. And is he going to sit idly by why Satan comes in to steal away your salvation and to take you from the kingdom of God? Of course not. Christ is a ferocious defender. And he is a tremendous shepherd king. But when he sees wolves coming for us, does not run off like a hired hand. 
but he stands in the gap. And he fights for us. And if tonight we have faith, then we have faith for one reason, because Christ has preserved us all week long. We on our own could not stand for a minute. Satan would have our souls in a second. And if tonight you say, I believe on on this Jesus, I confess him to be the Christ and my Savior, then you do that only because Christ has been defending your soul and rescuing it in a thousand ways you know nothing about. He has been rescuing you and protecting you and keeping you. And he has sworn to do that all the way to the day of his coming. And when you hear his spirit saying, walk away from that sin, run away from it. When you hear his spirit by his word convicting you, confess that and turn from that. That is the saving grace of your king. Who would take you by the hand and snatch you away from the enemy. And keep you for his God. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. This is our Savior. When Jesus says to you, blessed are you. If you are able to look at me. And to see me as I am the Christ of God. Your chief prophet. Your only high priest. And you eternal king. Then you are infinitely happy. Can you say it tonight? Jesus Christ is everything I need. He answers to my ignorance by giving me light from heaven. He answers to my guilt by dying for me to reconcile me to God. And he answers to the great danger I'm in every day. To be ruled by the pleasures of sin. To be dominated by Satan and all of his lies. He, my king has rescued me and he will keep me to the end. If you can say you are the Christ, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, then you are blessed. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your blessing bestowed upon us that you've given us eyes to see and hearts to confess that Jesus, the son of God, is the Christ. Thank you for his enlightening word the revelation from heaven. We thank you for his saving sacrifice that has purified our consciences forever. We thank you, O God, for his glorious protection that not even Satan will snatch us from his hand. O God, help us to cling to Christ, to clutch him ever tighter tonight, and to go forward in confidence and joy and peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.